come to give you thanks for that life you've called us to and the safety of it, the security of it, the fullness of it. And we're coming tonight again to ask that by your spirit you will take your word and guide us into an understanding of your truth. We might see you high and lifted up. And that you might work in us to draw out that confidence, that faith that leads to life. And we're coming trusting you for it, and we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we think about the matter of faith. What does it mean? Trying to work towards a definition, and you remember that we said last, last week as we are going through this, when you go to the Bible, you really are hard-pressed to find anything that amounts to a, uh, a definition. Faith isn't presented in that kind of terminology. It is presented by showing us what it is over and over again. And as we look at those pictures of faith, as expressions of faith, we begin to gain a, an understanding of what it is. So I will say that as we're going through this, there is a lot of repetition. There is a lot of going back over. The thought is this, that if, if we keep looking at it one more time, this way and this way and this way, from different stories and different passages, a confidence emerges in our heart as to what God is asking us to be, what He is asking us to do. <clears throat> Last week we talked about the fact that um, the word faith is Paul's favorite way of expressing this. He expresses a noun, which is an inward attitude. And that inward attitude is one of trust and confidence in God. John, on the other hand, we're going to be looking at John tonight, primarily uses the active form of that, the verbal form of it, to believe. Because faith is more than just an attitude. That attitude, if it's real, leads to actions. It leads to commitments. It leads to taking steps. Faith never sits still. Even if the closest you come to faith sitting still is when it sits still to wait on God because it believes He'll fulfill it and there's nothing else it can do about it. But it's always a commitment. It is always an activity. Now, we want to go through a long way tonight. So pray that we make it, all right? Because we're going to cover a whole lot of material. And the key thing you need to pray for is control so we, we see it all because we're going to sweep again through the book of John thinking about what is involved in this matter of faith? But the thing we want to see tonight, I'll tell you right off the bat, we'll start at the beginning. Faith is not the key issue in your life. Life is the key issue. Faith is a means to a life, but what God is after is not faith in the person. It is in, it is in life that comes because you trust Him. Now I want to demonstrate that, so let's turn in the book of John to his account of why he wrote the book. We did mention this last week, but let's look at it again. This is in John chapter 20, and we are going to begin reading in verse 30. This is John writing. He tells everybody, why did I write this book? Why did I put these things down? He says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in His name. Now, first thing I want you to note is he wrote these things down in order that you could have information to work on. Right? Faith comes by hearing. It comes by, the, by God coming to you and giving you information. 
the, the leap in the dark idea is not biblical. We don't take leaps in the dark. God shouts at us what's true. And then we will either build on that or we will refuse it. But it's not in the dark. I came to Christ. I don't come to one who, who is in the dark and hope for something. I came to one who rose from the dead. And there's a testimony to it. I came to one who, as we will see in just a moment, was described in an Old Testament hundreds and hundreds of years before he came. It was described what he would come for, what he would do. And it's, of course, going to be very important in just a moment in this book. And then the information is given. When that information is given, all that all that Old Testament is so that you and I can know that this is a sure book. You can count on it. All right? So in different ways, he has pre- presented that. But John says this, I'm going to tell you certain things. Because he's speaking to people that don't have all that Christian background. He's presenting this to certain people who, who need to receive it, need to know. So he says, I'm writing this down so that you can know certain things. Remember, faith is not creative. That's, that's a concept of the world. I, would, I can create an idea and then trust that it will come to pass. You can't make anything come to pass by your faith. God makes something to come to pass, and what He makes come to pass, if you trust Him, is what He said He would do. Faith always is a response to what God has said. And so John, first of all, underlines that by giving us the information. But then he tells you why he gave that information so that you might believe. And he says exactly what he wants you to believe. He said last week that faith is personal trust in a person. There is a person who came to this earth. There is a person who is alive tonight, the person of Jesus Christ. We are to trust him. What are we to trust him for? And this goes back to what we just said. We are to trust that he is. He wants him to know. He wants everybody to know. This is the Christ. Right? The Christ is an old... Old Testament character, someone who is presented repeatedly in the Old Testament. The word Christ, of course, means it's the anointed one, the one that has on him the Spirit of God in a peculiar way to accomplish a purpose of God. The Old Testament told us exactly what that would be. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, said Isaiah, predicting the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news. Good news is salvation, release the captives. The day of the favorable day of the Lord. That's what he came to preach. That was predicted that he would come. John wants people to know that that one that was predicted way back there by the God who is has a scheme, has a program working right through history, who didn't start when you were born, who started way back before the foundation, establishing things for the glory of God, that he has come, that he's here. He also says that you might know that he's the Christ, the Son of God. Son of God was also an important picture from the Old Testament. Thou art my son, this day I've begotten you. Right, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. But he says that I want you to have this information so that you can establish your faith on him. Right, so you can come to that place where you trust him. Where you, you come to him and put your confidence there. Because you now have information. That's why we preach. That's why we just talk about what God said in His Word. And again, where I don't know where you're, you're listening to the Word of God, but 
what you want to do in a church is find a place where they're telling you what it says because this is what God will do. It's not philosophy. It's not just good, good things to make us ethically better. It is the word of God fulfilled. He will fulfill it on our behalf. But he says the third thing. What's that? First of all, he's written the things, and he wants to, them to write so that they will entrust themselves this one. But here's the, here's the goal of it all. The goal of it is that believing you may have life in his name, right? That believing these things, you might have life. The goal is not faith. We're going to talk a lot about faith, but it, it's, it's a means to an end. And what is that end? It is the end of life. And that's what everything in this book is about, in, in the book of John. It's all about that. The word life, extremely important in the book of John. We are going to survey a little bit of it to try to, to get a consciousness of, of how he builds this, but we are leaving tons out because we only have another 30 minutes to get through all this material. So we can't, we can't cover every passage. I'm going to, to take you through these very well-known passages with the great I am statements of the book of John. Because we come to a person, we're trusting a person, and these statements help us a great deal because it tells us exactly who that person is. And I, again, I don't know when it was in your life when you began to realize that the Lord of glory was speaking to you individually. He was telling you, I am this. This is what I am to you, potentially. What are you going to do about it, all right? It's all about life. And I want to start off in the book of or in the book of John in chapter 5, because it, it points out why we have to have these meetings and why you have to do them, all right? We think about eternity, and um, I did used to joke about the fact that when it came to, to Greenville, South Carolina, this was in the 1960s, I thought this is the greatest place to live on the face of the earth because nobody ever dies and goes to hell here. It right? doesn't matter what kind of life you live, when they had the funeral service, he's with the Lord. I mean, you're going like, what? You know, <laughs> this, this guy's a bum. You know, he really didn't live that well. But you see, everybody, it was all, it was just the idea. And that's, that still continues, right? You know, well, he's in a better place now. Remember at one point, my aunt was saying about, about a person, they're in a better place now. And you're going, well, I don't really think so. They're just not here. I want to note something that, again, it's, it's part of the, it's what, what forces you to keep on preaching the word of God, what keeps you going on it. Listen to this. Uh, verse 24, this is chapter 5, verse 24. This is a sort of preamble to all those. Uh, it gets you started in those I am statements. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. But he not only says he has eternal life, he says he does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death to life. All right. He will then speak more about that, but at, down in verse 28, he says, don't marvel at this. The uh, j judgment is in the Lord's hands. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Now, that's all who are in the tomb. Everybody that has ever lived on this earth, every single one of them, imagine that, will hear a voice up, right? Up you come. No matter where you died, no matter where you were, it doesn't matter. All of them are coming back to life because every person in this room is eternal. You have eternal existence. 
When God made you, He made you for eternity. And you are destined for eternity. There is no, it's not just that, that Christians have eternal life and you don't have, again, there's an eternal life that a Christian has, but everybody in this room has an eternal existence. That is a very sobering fact when you get up to speak. It's sobering to look across people, a group of people realizing that they have, because you're speaking it, the potential to follow the truth, but if they don't, there's going to be a judgment. Everybody's going to be raised. And he says, when that resurrection takes place, we're going to find out that there were two kinds of people. Nothing changes at that resurrection. Nothing is bestowed at that resurrection. At that point of resurrection, those who actually trusted the Lord, who came to Him earlier while they were, in, while they were alive on this earth, those who came will be resurrected and will begin, will be ushered into an experience of peace and joy and fulfillment and enrichment in the presence of God. The one who bestows blessings from whom they, they just flow out and that they, they will experience that kind of its life. But they didn't come to life at that point. They don't come to life at the resurrection. The body comes back up and at that point it's bestowed or they're led into this experience, okay? But at the same time, if you didn't have life, then there's a horror, the horror of that experience. You wish you didn't have to preach this part. But the horror of suddenly being in a place where everything is wrong and there's nothing you can do about it. The psalmist in Psalm 1 kind of pictures this by using the idea of a, a person who really has committed themselves to God being like a tree that just is growing and, and it's bearing fruit and it's, it's stable and it's, everything is great for it. But he says the wicked, the ones who don't commit themselves to God, they're not like that. Now that's chaff, but think of it this way. Think of it like the leaves that are going to fall off the trees. They're dead, they're gone, they just blow away in the wind. They have no life in them. Chaff, we don't, we don't run into chaff much anymore, so doesn't mean too much but it's it's the same picture the people who don't know god are in that condition that's that's a serious matter that's where every one of us starts our lives every one of us starts dead in an experience with regards to god what paul says in the book of of ephesians he starts all that and we were dead in our trespasses. he includes everybody we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we formerly walked we were all in that condition but there's the potential of life the Lord comes and He offers that life, and I want to look through those. Um, and it's not just knowing the truths, it's His responding to Him, because He'll say at the end of this chapter, this is where we had that place where He talks to the Pharisees, thought about it last week. He says, you search the Scripture because you think that's where the life is. But that's not where the life is. The life is in a person. Right? But the Scripture spoke, He says, about me, and you won't come to me. You won't come to me. What does it mean to come to Him? Well, now we go through the, uh, the I am statements, and I want to begin in chapter 6. I'm going to go through them just in the order that they have. In the chapter 6, it's a time when um, the feeding of the 5,000 takes place. And along the way, and again, I'm skipping a lot here, but in verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I want you to note the, the issue life. It's not just that you're going to have food. It is, you have the food, which is the food of life. 
the bread, which again, in their day, that spoke about the basic sustenance. It's what you had to have every day. Everybody ate bread every day. We don't kind of have anything quite like that in our world today, or at least in the United States, but they had it. And I am that day-by-day sustenance. And a person comes to me, says, if you come to me, you're never going to be hungry and you're never going to thirst. Now, he is all of these statements that he makes in the I am statements are are metaphorical. They are not literal in the sense that you could come to Jesus eat and you're not going to have. I mean, got that clear. He's, he's using a picture because we all know what it is to you to eat in order to keep our bodies going. And he said that when you come in the spiritual way, you come to Jesus and you trust him. He will do something for you which will give you life and will sustain that continuously. It will never come to an end. There will be no finishing mark on that. It won't be like eating in the natural world where you have to keep on doing it. You're going to have something that gives you life and then continues to give you life. And you will know it. That's the satisfied feature of it. That's quite a promise. That's not the whole problem, but it's the li- it's a, it's the bread of life, which I want you to note. Okay, now <clears throat> in chapter eight, he's speaking about himself again. This is after the story of the woman who was caught in adultery, and but he he turns to the Pharisees now, and he says this. He speaks to them, and Jesus. This is in chapter eight, verse twelve, and Jesus again spoke to them, saying, "I am." the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have what? He will have the light of life. Different picture. He says, I'm going to tell you certain things. Take the picture away. I'm going to teach you certain things. I know the right way to live. I know what will lead to the best possible experience for you. I'm going to tell you about it. And it has to do with who I am. And I want you to listen to what I'm going to say because it's going to be just like if you went out right now and had a flashlight. Right? You'll know where to go and where not to go. I've been working on a house, uh, my son, and we are, he's he's in the woods. (laughs) We usually finished up late at night. And at this time of the year, now it's, it's getting better because it's getting colder. There are copperheads all around his house. I don't walk down that long road. It's it's 100 feet from that house to my house, to that car, without having a light to tell me what's there because (laughs) stepping on one, it's not it's not good for you. It's not it's 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 bad for your health. And the only way to avoid being sure that you're avoiding that is to have the light, right? You've got to have it. And Jesus says this in life. We have to have a direction. We have to have a life, a light. And he says, I am that light. Listening to what I say and then following me and trusting me will give you the kind of information that keeps you safe and will lead you to the right place in the end. That's why later on, dropping the Um, imagery here he says this if you continue in my word if you continue to listen to what I say and follow me 
then you'll be real disciples. That, that's what a real disciple does. He says, if you're, really, if you're really following me, you're really trusting me, you're going to listen to what I say on a continuous basis and follow me. And he says, what will happen? And you will know truth. You're going to know the truth, and that truth is going to release you. It's going to set you free. It's going to bring you to the, that's the, the light of life. People get all bound up on this earth, and they end up messing it all up because they, they don't follow the right path. Okay, we could say a lot there, but we're not going to. We're, we're moving through. All right, we're moving through some information. All right, the next two are combined. All right, Jesus tells a picture here, and I do have to take a little bit of time with this. We know about light. We know about food. We all do that. We don't know about sheep. All right, we just don't know. We don't have, I don't know. There's a few people here have some sheep, but it's not the same today as it was then. Those days, sheep were very common. It was the, the common stock animal in Israel. And because it was sort of open range with the sheep, you didn't, you didn't keep them in a pasture with a fence around it. You just kind of went out and found places where there was grass growing anywhere. And so sheep would move all over the place. Uh, sheep were also one of the, uh, were prey for a number of animals, lions and tigers, and not, not tigers, but bears and, and, and wolves are all out there in Jesus' day. So at night, you just, you can't leave them sitting out there when all those animals are out there. So you bring them into, um, into a place that is enclosed. It could be a walled place, which has a wall high enough that can't go over the top or very commonly it was just a an encampment of of thorns that was just piled up in great big piles and they, i mean we're talking thorns and uh it was just so prickly that animal wouldn't want to try to get through it and at night you would bring the sheep into that into that fold that's what sheep fold is into that fold and you keep them there the shepherd doesn't leave them there all right he doesn't leave them there he stays right with them and often I'm told, again, I'm not a shepherd, but often I'm told the, uh, the shepherd would himself stay right at the gate. So when Jesus said here, I am the door of the sheep, it, it was at times a personal thing. The shepherd, he's, he's connecting the shepherd and being the door of the sheep right beside each other. He says, first of all, I am the door of the sheep. He is the one through whom you go to go back to the safe place, but also to out to the feeding place. So it's not the idea of coming into heaven. Heaven isn't the safe place here. It's the idea that you are now in a place where you're provided for. I'm a door there, he says, that, and ones can come in and they can go out through me in this, in this experience. All right. Then he goes on to talk about the good shepherd, but right in between those two, we have one of the great statements of the book of John about what life is about, what he's about. So in the middle of it, and uh, <clears throat> let me go back here to, to verse 9. I'm going to start reading there. I am the door. This is chapter 10, verse 9. Excuse me. Uh, chapter 10, verse 9. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It's a great picture. All right. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And he says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I've come, he said. This is, this is Jesus. You can, there's a number of different places where it says he came to seek and to save that which is lost. 
He came to die the just for the unjust in order to bring us to God. But here he puts it this way. They're all the same, the same direction. But he says this, I've come that they, the ones who are the sheep, would have life and have that abundantly. See, the purpose that the Lord had in mind for every one of us, every single one of us, is an experience of life. And the fact that he adds to it life abundantly, and again, the way he will describe certain other features, this is not just eternal life in the sense that I know I'll go to heaven when I die. We want to separate that out, and it's, it's very important you don't do that. Because once you do that, you fall into the trap of believing that until you get to that place, you're on your own. You're not on your own. You see, the direction, the, the light of life we have to have, you need it tonight. I need it tonight. I need the bread of life tonight. I need a good shepherd tonight. Now, you're going to go on to say how it is that the good shepherd will make it possible for you and I to have life, for you and me to have life. This is how he'll do it, because he's going to go on in that passage to say that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He'll do this. He will put himself in a place where he dies so that the sheep can have life. He's going to describe something that the book will, will expound on. He says there's a good shepherd, but the purpose of it, think of it, is that you can have life. And I can have life. All right, now keep going. All right, that's that's chapter ten. Oh yeah, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. Story goes on. Next one that next I am statement comes when Lazarus dies. A man named Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus's. Jesus heard about his sickness. He doesn't go to help him. Just stays where he is. We don't. Anyway, he finally ends up there. But when he gets to the place where Lazarus was, Lazarus has died and has been buried for four days. That's serious. That's that's real dead. All right. This is important to the story. It's one thing to revive a little girl who just expired. And they, they buried fairly quickly. So it's another thing, again, with the young man who was, he would have died, then they would have gone to bury him pretty quickly. But Lazarus has died and has been buried. The mourning is taking place, but they didn't wait around with the body there. They got it in the ground, and now it's, it's past that. And he comes to that heartbroken family. They are a little disturbed by his delay because they knew he had the capacity to heal. They had already seen that. And when he gets to that place, he tells one of the sisters of the man who died that he's going to rise again. She says, I know he will because she believes in the resurrection because that that was Jewish. The Old Testament taught that. There's a resurrection. I know he'll be raised in the resurrection. And then Jesus says this, and it's important. Because this is chapter 11, verse 25. There's much more we could say, but here we, here we go here. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. All right, so the life starts before you ever get to the death. All right, that's very important, Jesus says. Now, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And that's one of the reasons I want to put in that part about 
the resurrection at the very beginning. If he just said he was the resurrection, that would just mean he has the capacity to bring everybody back to life. He's already said that. He is the resurrection. It is because of the power that is in Jesus Christ that he will speak, and every dead person that has ever existed on this earth will be revitalized, will come back bodily and be ready, be before God. All right? But he tells her something else, and this is important. I'm not only the, the resurrection, I'm the life for the ones who will come to that place and will experience blessing. It's important because Jesus said that not only is he the good shepherd who takes care of us here, keeps us safe in that sheepfold, but you can, you can trust him for what's out there. You can trust him for that moment. Because when that resurrection takes place, he will be life to those who have trusted him. He's going to do it. Right. And again, I know you know all these things, but you see, John is building up something. You see, this is the book of John. We're, we're going through it. There are other parts of the book of John that talk about life also, but in Jesus was life, he said at the very beginning, and that life was the light of men, and that life, it's, that light's still shining. All these things are important to lay the groundwork for the confidence that he's going to call you to later on. Right. Now, keep moving. We go over to the to a time when the disciples are alone with Jesus. He's, he's not in public ministry anymore. It's the night before he dies. And in chapter 14, they're still concerned. They're concerned because he's preparing a way, he said. I'm, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a way. But they say, how are we going to get there? They're, they're a little confused. They're very disturbed. He's talking about things that they're not really happy about. And in their stress, they ask him, how could we know the way? And what's he say? Here's one of the best known ones. I am the way. To get where I'm going, come through me. I'm truth. I am the truth. It's also important to where we're going to go in just a moment. I'm the truth. Everything else is a lie. You can trust me. You can trust me. And then he says this, and the ultimate point, which he said, I came that we might have life and have it abundantly. I am the life. I'm the very life. That's, that's also very important. Now, the last of these statements is in chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine. I will admit freely that in that metaphor, it's a prolonged section in which he talks about him being the vine and us being the branches. He never uses the word life. All right, he never uses that word. It would have made it so much easier to preach the message if he just had put it in there. But he didn't. But it's all about life, right? Because we understand that one. That's a picture which is still familiar to us. The branches on a tree continue to have green leaves on them because there is a sap flowing through them. We all know that. And we know that if you saw off a branch from a tree, it shrivels up. We can pick this up. We're, We're... you know, even I, you know, in our day, we can figure out that much about uh, agriculture. What he's saying is this, that I am the true vine, but you have the, you are placed into me. And because you're placed into me, you not only are secure, you're not only safe for eternity, but something, God wants to do something in you and through you that, that brings other people to blessing finally. 
This doesn't have to do with me so much experiencing Jesus so I can be a good person. It has to do with what I need tonight as I'm standing here. Because I could have in front of me people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And if life is going to flow to them, if the voice of God is going to reach them, then the life of God has to flow in me. Because I can't speak words that are spirit and life. Only God can do that. But he tells us this, I'm the the true vine. In me there is that life. You are branches. Stay there. Stay there. And your life can become important, not only safe for yourself, but important to people who are around you. This is the the great difference between people in this world who are trying to find life on this earth. And it's all sucking in. And what a person who comes to know God becomes as they look out. It's one of the surest signs that a person has been born again of the Spirit of God is their life starts being out there. It has to do with other people. It was a great privilege this weekend to um, have people return. Again, some of the students from way back. To see people that I haven't seen, some of them, since the day they left when they graduated. Haven't talked to them since then. And have them come back and tell me, yeah, I, I took hold of this. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I've had Sunday school classes the whole time. I've been out here doing this. I've been, <laughs> they've been out doing all sorts of different things. Why do they do that? Why do they do that? Because when the life begins to flow, the whole purpose of that life is that it should do, mean something to somebody else. And it's, it's just a flow. But it, it comes because of who Jesus is. And when a person enters into that, anyone who has ever done it, you realize it is in an experience like that where you begin to feel really alive. That when you are are in the process of of helping someone else to see what is true. It is, it's an experience of life. Now, all that is, and we're thinking about faith. We're trying to get back to where does the faith come into all this? Well, I want to go back to another passage. We have these pieces in chapter 7, which is not an I am statement. But it also helps us to understand where the faith comes in in this. In chapter 7, late in the chapter, uh, Jesus is <clears throat> at a feast, and uh, he gets up to speak. He's in the temple. Um, it's a dramatic moment, because most of the time when Jesus spoke, he sat down with people. That was the typical way of a of a teacher in those days to speak. You would sit down and, you were, and the, the people gather around at your feet and you would sit there and you would just explain to them truth. That was as the, you, that's how the, the teaching and the student went. On this day, it wasn't a typical teaching moment. It says Jesus stood up in the crowd. I don't know if he got up on something, but that's why I've got it pictured in my mind. I don't know that that's true. But he got up, he stood up, and instead of talking in a conversational way he shouted all right he got up and he shouted this if any man thirsts let him come to me all right and drink that's what he got to finish let him come to me and drink amen he who believes in me out of his innermost being shall 
flow rivers of living water. That's the promise of God. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. Now, for a long time, I, I thought of that in these terms. And again, what did Jesus mean or what was he thinking when he said, if any man thirsts? And for a long time in my life, I, I kind of looked at it this way, that what he's saying is that some people are thirsty and the rest aren't. And if, if you're going to come to Jesus, if you're going to come to him, you've got to find people who are actually thirsty. Right? And that's, you could, it may be true. That may be the point he's making. If you really are thirsty today and you're conscious of that thirst, come to me. After teaching the word of God all these years, I've come to this conclusion. Everybody thirsts. There's nobody out there that doesn't thirst. Because he's talking about life, right? What he's looking for is the water of life. Everybody thirsts. Everybody has an opinion of how they can somehow satisfy that drive that was put into you because you were made in the image of God. And when you were separated from God, you, that image continued to be there and it had to, something had to fill up a gap in your soul which would give you a sense of security, all kinds of names for it, security, or it could be fulfillment, or it could be whatever. Finding life, finding a reason to exist, finding peace, joy, all, all kinds of different pieces to it. But every human being on the face of the earth is after that. And every person on the face of the earth has an opinion of how they'll get to that point. All right? When we teach the Word of God, you never come to teach a blank piece of paper. You're never writing on a sheet. When you're, when you're teaching the Word of God, you are doing a combination of erasing and writing. Because everybody already has an opinion. You've already got a life worked out. When Jesus said this, if any man thirsts, it's, all he's saying is this. While you're thirsting, while you're looking for it, I would like to tell you, come to me. If you really want to know the experience that you're after, come to me and drink. Drink from me personally. And I'm going to tell you what I will do if you will come to me personally. I will cause a river of water to well up in you, which will satisfy continually. You will be alive and you <laughs> with a life that will never stop. I've often asked the question in my own mind, why, don't, why didn't everybody flood, flood to him? You know, that's a, you know, if, you know if you're, why? You know, the woman at the well earlier on when he gave almost the same invitation said, yeah, boy, give me that water. <laughs> that's what I want. And he had to challenge her about a few things, but he, she wanted that water. You know, why don't people flood to the Lord? Well, this is where we're getting down to, we're trying to study about faith. You see, when you listen to all that, you're going to come to one of two conclusions. Either he's telling the truth, and I need to go to him, or I don't believe him. Now, how you go about the don't believe, sometimes it's blatant. Ah, forget it. Sometimes it's very subtle. It's the delay process. You know, that one where I think I'll think about it. I think I'll think about it. I think I'll think about it. And life goes by, and after a while, you're not thinking about it anymore. 
But you see, why, what, is, what happens when, when you have that? Well, the reason people don't come is because they don't believe that he has the path of life. They believe it's somewhere else. We're going to be thinking about that a lot next week, but I want to at least touch on that tonight. That's what they think. They think that maybe a relationship that they could have. They have these dreams of the perfect marriage, and here it is. And when that, was, when that perfect marriage, there's a few people been there. Um, when that develops, then I will experience life. It could be a career. If I were a whatever, when I was being that, when I was fulfilling this, I would be living. This would be really it. If I had this home in this place, I would really be alive. If I drove this, again, we're, some of us are you know, much lower in our, if I drove this car, if I could just travel to all these places and see them, if I could get this degree, if I could be esteemed by people on this plane, if I could have this political authority or responsibility, if I could, and there's all kinds of pictures, fill in the blank, but everybody's got one, right? We all had one. When you're growing up, they kind of you know, flash through you. Now this one, now this one, now this one, as you mature and you hope you pick out one's fairly decent. But the Lord comes to you and says, you know what? You're all wrong. I'm not saying, I'm all wrong. Right? That's what he said to me. You're wrong. Right? But see, what does faith do? Faith listens to what Jesus said and then comes to the conclusion that he's telling the truth and then builds on it. This is what we're talking about. Get to it. He's going to build on it. You see, it's almost like this. You could you could think of it this way. Um, in the Old Testament survey, I was the first time I was through it. I was thinking about the man Abraham, and it just this thought really came to me that, you know, when you confront God, life is never the same. All right, when God comes and speaks to you, you don't go back to where you were. Once the God of glory appeared to Abraham, he's either going to follow God or he's going to go back here. But life will never be neutral like it was before. I thought about that a lot because it had only been a couple years before that time that God had come into my life. And I thought, boy, he turned it upside down. He changed the whole direction. All those things that I thought I was going to end up in, I was not in. And here I am over here. He turns it completely around. You see, once we come to God, we have to, once He speaks, you have to make a choice. Once we know what God has said, we have to move on it because that's what faith has to do. And that's what unbelief also has to do. Faith is an acceptance. Unbelief is a rejection. All right? And you can picture it this way, you know, just... You've got these things in front of you. Here they are. This is the promise of God where life is. What's faith look like? Well, faith comes up here, and we can picture like Jesus standing right here, and I am standing right there. I'm right here too. This is me and all that I think about what life is all about. All right? This is me. And and I had my own opinions when I met Jesus as to what would it take to really live. Jesus comes in and says, I am these things. I am. I'm the one who has to feed you. I'm the one that has to guide you. I'm the one that has to take care of you, and I will do it. And I will do it in such a way that you will experience on this earth abundance of life. 
Now look at Jesus. And one of two things is going to happen here. I'm either going to look at Jesus and say, I believe you. And then I'm going to look at myself and say, out of the way. I want to have life. You just get out of my way. All your opinions, put them away. I want to experience the life he has. Right? And again, over the weekend, it was a great privilege to talk to people who I knew did that a long time ago. And they're not, they're not sad that they did it. They didn't come to me and say, you know, it's really been tough to be, you know, lords and this. You know, I really wish I had, you know, they're coming there because they knew that with all the bumps and bruises that go along with being a Christian, there is a flow of life and it was, it's worth it. But there is the other possibility. There's the other possibility that I say to Jesus, you know what? I don't believe you. I don't believe you. These things which I think are life, I think are still life. And ultimately, you're going to say to Jesus, out of my way, I want to experience life. Both people are after life, right? They're both after the same end. They're both after in a fulfillment a security, whatever it is that you have for there's so many different ways to express what is the ultimate potential of experience on this earth. Both of them are going after that. But one of them is building his life on the fact of what Jesus said. He's going to do that and he's going to respond to that. I wonder what you've done with all that. Again, over, over the years, I've seen both ends. One of the most difficult things to watch happen in the life is a person who listens and understands and knows exactly what Jesus said and says to him, I don't believe it. And I won't have it out of my way. And they go their own road. And they become like, they become like a, the chaff, like the dead leaf, blown away. They won't stand. That's what he says, right? Those, Therefore, the wicked won't stand, as in Psalm 1, in the judgment. When it comes there, they won't have life. They won't be able to make it when they face God. The righteous will. They will they'll see God, and it will be an experience, the beginning of, of the richest possible experience of life. So I, I would ask you, because the, the, the problem is, for me, that I can look at lives, and I don't know where they are. I've seen enough people who looked like they were going the right path only to find out later on that they didn't have it. I think that's what Paul or what Jesus describes in that uh, parable of the sower when he says that there are some people who try to grow, grow, let the seed grow and let weeds grow at the same time. And we find out that if both of them, if you don't pull out the weeds at the beginning, if it's not all cleared at the beginning, the weeds win. Because that's where your heart is. And your treasure is going to be where your heart is. You're going to go that direction. Because you really believe that has life. Right? I can't tell. I can't tell. All I can do is say, you want to listen to Jesus and build your life there. You want to listen to him that he is the bread of life and ask him to give you life, feed you so that you have that life. He is light of life, and you want to come to him and say, I am going to listen to what you had to say, and I'm going to build my life around the way you said it, so I can find that path of life. 
I don't have the capacity to keep myself secure on this earth. I am coming to you and I am receiving from you that security that comes by having a shepherd who keeps you at night and feeds you in the daytime and gives himself for you. I don't have a capacity to be sure about that day, but I'm going to trust you to keep me in a state of life so that when that day comes, we'll sail through it. You'd be the way, the truth, the light. I'm going to trust you to give me a capacity which I don't have so that my life counts for people around. You build your life on that. Right? Faith hears what Jesus says. You don't create anything. You listen to him. And then you ask the question, is he true or is it not true? And then you commit to it. Right? What is faith? Faith hears what God says and builds its life around it. Jesus said tremendous things to us. I'm sometimes concerned that people don't listen to it, that we get so used to hearing it that we don't listen. He's offering to us abundant life. He's offering to us all that we're going to need throughout the whole thing. Are we taking hold of it by faith? What have you done? What have you done As, with what you've heard? Have you, have you committed to him for the experience of life? Or are you still convinced that your path, your thoughts are going to take you to the place of life? He's asking you to come to him. And I'm just encouraging you tonight. Think it through again. Look at it. Take the step. Commit your way to him. Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we come to you and we give you thanks for the, the word of God given to us. We thank you that you've given us every reason to trust you. We thank you that your son came to this earth, displayed your character. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the powerful testimony that he is the son of God. We're coming and asking you, Work in our heart. Move by your spirit in us. It's a difficult day. Lord, we want to know your life. We want to know your way. Enable us to escape the lie and take hold of truth and know the real experience of life and come trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.